What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to Off the Chain, simply the best podcast in crypto. Let's kick this thing off. Ben Gortzel is the founder and CEO of SingularityNet, a blockchain-based AI marketplace. In this conversation, we discuss the current state of artificial intelligence, how it could impact the world moving forward, what Ben is doing to build up the two-sided marketplace, and where he sees Bitcoin, crypto, and AI intersecting in the future. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you do as well. Skirt, skirt! Want to know who has the best URL? Crypto.com. That's right, Crypto.com. They're a crypto platform with one goal, motherfucking mass adoption. That's why we're all here. We're trying to get crypto in every wallet. Crypto.com is helping people do that through buying, earning, lending, and card payment. Everything you could want at Crypto.com. Go help your boy out. Tell him Pomp sent you. Download the app or visit Crypto.com. Pomp's got you always. Ever wanted to get into mining and didn't know how? Don't worry. Your boy Pomp's got you. Everybody got some electricity and Wi-Fi. All you got to do is go to CoinMine.com. You buy a coin mine. It's like an Xbox or a PlayStation that helps you turn your electricity into Bitcoin. That's right. You purchase it. It shows up at your doorstep. You pull it out of the box. You plug it in. Connect to your Wi-Fi. Five minutes or less, you're mining Bitcoin. All you have to do is control it from the mobile app they provide. And then you receive over-the-air updates that add new coins and new features on a consistent basis. Kind of like how Tesla does over-the-air updates and updates the car software. Just you're updating your coin mine. Consumer mining made easy. That's right. Go to coinmine.com, tell them Pomp set you, and thank me later. As many of you know, crypto investors store their digital assets on exchanges or in cold storage for long-term safekeeping. However, this strategy doesn't help them grow their investment holdings or build overall wealth. With the new BlockFi interest account, Users can now securely store their Bitcoin or Ether at BlockFi and receive 6% annual interest paid monthly in cryptocurrency. 6% is an absurdly high rate. It's the best rate in the industry. I highly suggest you go check out BlockFi.com slash POMP. Again, that's BlockFi.com slash POMP to sign up and start earning crypto today. Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by Pomp or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys, bang, bang. I've got uh, Ben here on, uh, on the podcast. Super excited about this. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to being on your show. Absolutely. All right, let's start with, uh, with your background. You've been working on a lot of this stuff for a long time, so maybe just walk us through uh, your career before uh, SingularityNet. Sure thing. I mean, I got a PhD in mathematics in the late 1980s, and I've been basically doing AI research and development for 30 plus years. I mean, I was academic for eight years in math, computer science, and cognitive science. But since the late 90s, 20 plus years, I've been doing applied AI, so helping big companies and government agencies solve their AI problems. And yeah, at, at the same time, doing AI research and development aimed at. Uh, the grand goal of artificial general intelligence, AIs that can think uh, more like people. And 
you know, this last few years has been amazing for AI development. More and more things are, are working now than ever before due to, you know, more data, faster computers and more people working in the field. So that, that both makes those of us who have been in the field a while really excited that, you know, the next five to ten years are going to be legendary. We may see the breakthrough to AIs that really can think better than people. On the other hand, it also makes us worry about, like, who controls these first really powerful AIs and, you know, what are their goals and biases, what's, what's on their minds. And so this is what led me into SingularityNet, which is aimed at making a decentralized foundation for, for AI. And so, so that there's a more of a democratic, participatory dynamic underlying not only practical AIs being rolled out now to help companies and people do their stuff and help people with their lives, but also more of a democratic and participatory basis underlying superhuman AI minds once those finally emerge. For sure. Now, before we kind of dig into uh, some of the nuances here, um, you know, artificial intelligence gets talked about all the time um maybe describe a little bit you know when you say artificial intelligence what are the criteria for an actual system that is artificially intelligent versus maybe something that is uh automated with uh algorithms or maybe just like machine learning type uh environment yeah i think the the concept of ai is very very broad right and i mean intelligence doesn't really have an, a widely accepted exact exact definition that works across like different species and different kinds of systems. So I mean, the field of AI has come to encompass pretty much everything that software or hardware can do that we would consider intelligent if people were doing it, right? And and there's a joke in the AI field that as soon as something has been done by machines, then it's considered not AI anymore, right? So, we, like we would have, we would have considered solving algebra problems or even dividing huge numbers intelligent. Now we have calculators and programs like MATLAB that's not intelligent. So, we considered driving a car down the street in traffic to be an AI problem, but now, now that it seems to be on the verge of being solved, we say, well, that's not really AI, it's just an automation problem. <laughs> so, there, I mean, there, there's a lot of uh, vagueness there. So the, a distinction that I introduced in 2004 or so, which I think is valuable, is the distinction between narrow AI and AGI, or artificial general intelligence. And I, I think that, that's not the only important distinction, but it cuts through some of the confusion. A narrow AI is an AI that's good at doing one very narrowly defined set of things. And, I mean, it could be just plays chess or just played board games or, it, you know, it just drives cars or, or it just diagnoses diseases based on medical data. An AGI is a system that, a bit more like a human, can deal with new problem domains, new concepts, new aspects of existence that it didn't even know were there before and that were not present in its programming or in its training data. And, you know, that kind of general intelligence isn't yet there in any software programs that we've created, but that's, that's what those of us in the AGI field have been 
working on for years, and now we're seeing more traction in that direction. Like Microsoft invested a billion dollars in OpenAI specifically to pursue AGI-oriented development and to do it on Microsoft Azure. And I mean, DeepMind that was bought by Google five years ago or something also was explicitly pushing in, in an AGI direction. So I think what we're going to see in the next five years or so is a gradual transition like from narrow AIs like we have now through sort of narrow AGIs that have more and more general intelligence, which is still kind of focused on one application area, and then full-on artificial general intelligence finally, which, uh, I mean, then that will quickly lead to what Ray Kurzweil called the singularity. Because once you have an AGI that can really think creatively like human beings, but, you know, also as an AI with all the ability to access huge amounts of data and use and do precise computations that that implies i mean then that, that then you're going to have an ai that can improve its own programming and and get smarter and smarter and smarter and so that's that's what's been called super intelligence that's a grand vision obviously we're not there yet and what you know what i've been involved in with singularity net is practical steps now that are just sort of the next natural steps in the progression toward the, the evolution of really, really smart AGI and super intelligent systems. The amazing thing is, I really think this progression may unfold within our lifetimes. Like we, we may have, you know, general intelligence as smart as human beings within five to 10 years and then smarter than humans a few years after that. And that is obviously extremely revolutionary the upside is amazing. The possible downside is is terrifying, right? And so that that that, that that's sort of what incensed me well, when I get up in the morning to work so hard on what we're doing. For sure. And, and I think one of the uh, API stories, uh, I think it was confirmed, but it was definitely reported, was that Facebook had created um, some software and the two different systems started to create their own language. And yeah, unfor- unfortunately, that... that that story was a complete load of crap because these were random, trivial, formal languages rather than sophisticated languages like humans used to communicate. I mean, I think that that illustrates illustrates a broader point that we're getting into a domain where, you know, the important technologies in the world are ones that that almost nobody understands, and that 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 leads to a bunch of issues. So, for example, I worked for three years on the Sophia robot, which uh, created by Hanson Robotics with some some AI from my OpenCog project and from SingularityNet used in it from time to time. But, I mean, this robot, it's the world's most sophisticated humanoid robot, amazing human-like emotional expressions. And, you know, her AI system has a mix of some sort of canned content that's programmed in by people and some learning and reasoning and that's just too subtle for most people to understand, even for many researchers to want to grapple with. So, I mean, she's an amazing robot, and these are going to be rolled out in the next few years as practical service robots for homes and offices. But it's very hard to get people to understand what's going on behind the scenes. And that's true even now. You know, how much truer will it be as we move toward general intelligence or super intelligence and that i mean that that gets us once again to the power of decentralized networks because 
you know, if you're dealing with technologies that people can't understand, you know, who do they place their faith in? Either they place their faith in, like, the company that made them or the, governor, the government that regulates them, or do they place their faith in their, you know, the reputation system of the decentralized network that, that, they, that they belong to? And, I mean, the, the latter option is a little subtler, but I think ultimately it's going to be the best, the best option because, I mean, lo- large governments and large corporations certainly have their place and they do some things very well, but I think the regulation of emerging general intelligence is going to be better done by global decentralized participatory networks. For sure. What, what um, are your big fears about artificial intelligence? You've been working on this a really long time. Like when you sit back, what are the fears that you agree with are real and, and you share versus ones that maybe people are worried about and aren't actually uh, uh, legitimate? I mean, most of the fears are real in the sense that there's a lot of bad things that could happen. But we don't have any reason to think bad things have a high probability of happening. I mean, the the one fear that I think is total BS is like machines are going to enslave people to work for them or use them as batteries or something like in the Matrix. I mean, of course, if a machine was smart enough to do that, it would also be smart enough to create machines to do whatever work it needed. Right. I mean, that, that's that I think is uh, is very unlikely. The idea that we're going to have machines that are hostile, hostile to people and want to fight people, very unlikely. I mean, some, some idiot would have to build machines and program or teach them to want to hate and fight people, and could happen, not likely. The possibility that we create super intelligent machines that are kind of indifferent to people and treat us like we treat ants or squirrels, I mean, that... That seems a plausible fear to have, right? I mean, we, we, don't, we don't wake up every morning like, how can I kill more ants or kill more squirrels? On the other hand, if we want to build a house, we don't mind flattening a bunch of ants and destroying a bunch of squirrels' homes because we just consider ourselves superior and more important to them, right? And then we, we preserve some of them in national parks and stuff, but we want to preserve the species of squirrels. We don't really care about preserving each individual squirrel very much. So, I mean, it's plausible that a superhuman AI eventually could view human beings in, 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 that, in that sort of way, like some respect for the human species as, as its creators and, you know, not malevolence toward us. On the other hand, if they're like a billion times smarter than us, they may not care about us any more than we care about much simpler life forms. And I mean, if... If we want to ward off that kind of problem, we need the superhuman AI to be more compassionate and kind and ethical than, than humans are, which may be considered a low bar in a sense if you look at human society. But, I mean, it's not a foregone conclusion. So we, we need to be training the first AIs to really be compassionate and loving toward all sentient beings so that they'll be nice to us once they're more powerful than us. So then then you look at, you know, what is AI being used for in the world today? And I, I like, I sum it up as uh, spying, killing, selling, and gambling, basically. I mean, it's surveillance applications, it's, it's military, it's financial market prediction and, and trading, it's advertising. So all of which are parts of humanity and they're going to keep existing. But it will be good to sort of shift the 
shift the balance a little bit so that there was more focus on applying AI for loving and, uh, and compassionate applications. And that's, uh, I mean, yeah, we can't, we can't obviously change everything the world is doing with, with AI, but we can shift the balance in a more positive direction. And that can help things in the near term as, as well as hopefully filling the early stage mind of the emerging super intelligence with more, more positive stuff. Right. And so, the, I mean, these are all sort of some of the broader motivations behind the very nitty gritty practical work that, that we're doing now. Absolutely. Maybe let's talk a little bit about uh, what you're building at singularity net. Absolutely. So what, what we've built in the last year and a half is uh two years, really. It's a decentralized blockchain-based AI platform and marketplace. So, I mean, it's a SingularityNet platform now in the beta version 2, not the 1.0 release yet, but there's a version that works. It's reasonably scalable. There's a bunch of AIs working in it, doing various, you know, vision processing and biology data analysis and so on. So this, uh, it's basically... It's an AI marketplace, so anyone can put an AI agent into the marketplace, and then it will advertise its services to any anyone who needs AI services and, and wants to wants to use the marketplace to get them. But also, there's a novelty that the the different AIs in the marketplace can all communicate with each other and talk to each other, and an AI in the marketplace can outsource work to another AI in the marketplace. So then you have what AI pioneer Marvin Minsky called a society of minds where the different AIs in the network, they're sharing information, they're outsourcing work to each other, they're cooperating. And, and then the whole network of AIs in the singularity net, you know, in itself has an intelligence beyond the intelligence of the individual AIs in the network. So, I mean, where we are now, we built this platform. We've put some cool AI tools into the platform. The presence of a cryptographic token, the AGI token, which is a payment and incentive token for transactions in the marketplace, that gives us an additional tool to play with for sort of in incentivizing suppliers incentivizing developers because we can use like agi token bonuses we can do do contests with agi token rewards and so forth to spur ai developers to to use the platform and then on the demand side we're doing a bunch of different things but what, one thing is we formed a spin-off company called singularity studio which is a separate for-profit company and it's sort of like you have Ethereum and Consensus, or you have Linux and, and Red Hat, right? So we have SingularityNet, which built the open decentralized platform and which has the AGI token powering it. Then we have Singularity Studio, which is building enterprise products on top of that platform. So, so, so Ben, explain a little bit. Um, we talk about this two-sided marketplace, some of the challenges of building it. Um, what are the services that, you know, you, that I as a user come into? What are the services that I'm looking to use and what's that user experience like for me? 
Yeah, so in terms of use of the marketplace, I, I think the the AI services offered in the marketplace are really, they're mostly aimed at relatively knowledgeable developers who are, they're building products, they're building websites, and, and they need an AI component to to their to their product and you know they could use an AI service in in Google Cloud or Amazon Web Services, but an alternative is to use uh, use an AI service from SingularityNet platform. So let me give just one example. Like we we have we have some AI services in there now that do image style transfer. So you can sort of map the style of one image to another one. Now if you were if you were, say, a modeling agency and you wanted to do something like take, uh, take, you know, the head and face of a star model and sort of morph it onto the, the body of a, of a less famous model, but who was cheaper to get to pose in various places, right? So then you, you, you're sort of, uh, you're making a mashup of different models who are all in, 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 your, own, in your own portfolio, so that you can show the star models in a lot of different poses and locations without having to pay them to go all those places. So if you're a modeling agency who wants that, I mean, you might hire a software developer to build that application for you and train it on all the photos you have of models, but you might not have the AI component to actually do the image magic that, that, that you need to combine the different images together then we have a service on the Singularity Net marketplace that a developer could actually use to provide the AI component inside that application. And that, that example illustrates some, uh, some fairly common aspects, which is you often have business customers who have their own data that they want to use to drive some AI application but they don't have the AI wizardry to leverage their data to do to do what they want. And so we can provide AI tools that a developer can integrate and apply to the customer's data to deliver the, f the function that they need. So, I mean, that if you were a modeling agency and you had data with images of a bunch of models and you wanted to sort of map the face of one model into the body of another model because you had photo of model a in you know by the beach but model b wasn't available to go to the beach right so if you if you want to do mapping of one model's face to another model's body we have you know image image style transfer services and stuff that can can help with that and you can then access this software on our platform provide the ai wizardry you know inside your own domain-specific application. Or if you're a biologist who's analyzing DNA data and you, you have a bunch of DNA from people with prostate cancer, you want to understand, you know, what genes are important for prostate cancer and why to help develop new therapeutics. Again, we have bio-AI analytics tools on, on the platform that can that can help help you interpret your data. Similarly, like say you're you're a bank who wants to do credit scoring for small medium enterprises based on all sorts of different data, social media data and, and financial data. Again, 
financial analytics tools on, on, on the platform can can help provide the AI component deep deep inside your product. So I think that the platform in itself is it's really geared toward technical people, toward product developers who would otherwise either have to build their own AI code or use some service on Google Cloud or Amazon Cloud or Microsoft Azure. We're giving an, an alternative to to build it yourself and an alternative to big company AI services. And I think as as the platform grows bigger and bigger, we should be able to get you know a much wider and longer tailed uh, set of of AI services on the, on the platform because we, we don't just have the things that a big company decide to provide to their users. We have whatever anyone in our in the world decide to put put onto the onto the platform. So I would say the the other the other set of customers we're looking at is large corporates and that's a bit different. So I think a small company or an AI startup is going to just use the AI services in our platform directly and you know that's the cheapest thing to do and you can be very creative and how you combine different AI services together. On the other hand, if you're a large corporation, you may just want you know, a very polished product that serves exactly the functions that you need, that integrates with all your databases, that, that has someone maintaining the product for you. And then the back-end AI may come from the decentralized AI network, but you don't even want to think about it. You just want to think about the, the product that you're buying. So we're... We've spun off a company called Singularity Studio, which is a for-profit company aimed just at building commercial applications for large corporations where the AI backend draws on the decentralized Singularity AI network. And I sort of, I view this as, uh, you know, the best of both worlds. It's somewhat analogous to, you have Linux, which is free and open source, and then you have Red Hat, which was doing, you know, an enterprise Linux and it was a for-profit company recently acquired by IBM for like $34 billion or you have Ethereum and then you have Consensus, which is, is sort of a venture studio building out applications on top of Ethereum. So we have SingularityNet, which is our free and open platform with some AGI R&D in it and some useful low-level AI services. Then we have Singularity Studio, which is, is building, uh, you know, polished corporate applications on, on, on top of the Singularity Net network. And I think that can help with the demand side of the problem of platform community growth that we face, right? Because with, with Singularity Net, I mean, having launched the beta version 2, which is a scalable version of the Singularity Net platform, you know, it, it, it works. It allows us to to deliver AI services at, at scale. It allows different AIs to talk to each other and coordinate with each other. But for such a thing to really flourish, you need supply, which is people putting AI into the network, and demand, which is users using the network to get their to get their AI done. And I mean, the token ecosystem with AGI token, this can be used to drive supply to a significant extent by giving token rewards to AI developers, putting AI in the platform. To drive demand, I mean, one way to do it 
is just to do do developer workshops and make slip developer tools and you want to get AI developers to use the platform. Another way to do it is to do something like Singularity Studio where you're building heavily polished domain-specific products aimed at big companies to get them get them using the platform. And I mean, we've been, as, as one example, within SingularityNet, we've been working closely with, with Cisco Systems and we, we, we've been working with them on some applications aimed at car traffic analytics. So using deep neural nets together with some abductive logic, like logical reasoning, a different kind of AI. We've been putting logic together with neural nets and working, working with Cisco to better understand what's happening in street scenes, like between cars, pedestrians, uh, bicyclists, and, and, and so forth. So this is a case where we are working directly with a big company to help solve some of their problems using the AI tools that we have developed, which are then made available on Singularity Net Marketplace. And right now, it's been a sort of custom thing we're working on together with Cisco, but then AI on SingularityNet platform for car traffic analytics, a next step will be to productize that. And then we have a product which we could potentially license to Cisco or to anyone else who needed needed car traffic analytics. But then like the what the customer sees is just well we have some car traffic data feeds and we need some output telling us what's happening in this roadway situation. And that's all they care about is they have something that sucks in their car traffic data and spits out car traffic analytics. It happens on the back end, the AI is being supplied from this decentralized blockchain-based platform using some neural nets and using our open cog AI tools. But the customer, I mean, they may think it's cool that there's this blockchain-based decentralized network and some AGI technology behind it. But ultimately, what they care about is they're getting their their problem solved, right? And so, I, I think uh, that that's an example of the type of approach we're taking in Singularity Studio, where we, you know we're taking the trouble to develop a pretty full featured vertical market specific product for some customer that backends on the network. But you also want like a vast teaming pool of you know more small scale developers who are directly using the low-level AI code provided on the platform to solve their problems. And and these developers may be putting their own stuff available for sale on, on the platform also. So, yeah, I think, you know, the stage right here is a stage a bunch of blockchain-based projects are going to be at in the next couple of years. It's like, okay, we built some infrastructure. We built some platforms. We've actually worked through a bunch of technical headaches to make tools that, are decentralized in their infrastructure and actually do something useful. Now, you know, now we're we're in the situation of competing with the big boys, right? Because we need to get we need to get developers to use our tools and we need to get customers to use the stuff the stuff on our platforms. So on, which is you know, it's a good problem to have to have a scalable decentralized platform that works and be at the stage of growing the network of users. On the other hand, that's uh, it still is a challenge, right? It's just the next level of challenge. Skirt, skirt. Want to know who has the best URL? Crypto.com. That's right, crypto.com. 
They're a crypto platform with one goal, mother mass adoption. That's why we're all here. We're trying to get crypto in every wallet. Crypto.com is helping people do that through buying, earning, lending, and card payment. Everything you could want at crypto.com. Go help your boy out. Tell him Pomp sent you. Download the app or visit crypto.com. Pomp's got you always. Ever wanted to get into mining and didn't know how? Don't worry, your boy Pomp's got you. Everybody got some electricity and Wi-Fi. All you got to do is go to coinmine.com. You buy a coin mine. It's like an Xbox or a PlayStation that helps you turn your electricity into Bitcoin. That's right. You purchase it. It shows up at your doorstep. You pull it out of the box. You plug it in, connect to your Wi-Fi. Five minutes or less, you're mining Bitcoin. All you have to do is control it from the mobile app they provide, and then you receive over-the-air updates that add new coins and new features on a consistent basis. Kind of like how Tesla does over-the-air updates and updates the car software. Just you're updating your coin mine. Consumer mining made easy. That's right. Go to coinmine.com, tell them Pomp sent you, and thank me later. One more word from our sponsor, BlockFi. Their new interest account allows you to securely deposit your Bitcoin or Ether at BlockFi and receive 6% annual interest paid monthly in cryptocurrency. This rate actually compounds, so you receive a 6.2% APY, which is very attractive given the alternatives. So you can actually take your Bitcoin, you can deposit it with BlockFi and get paid an interest rate of 6% in return. Go check out BlockFi.com POMP. Again, BlockFi.com POMP to sign up and start earning interest on your crypto today. What, what do you think is uh, kind of the end goal or, or end state of Singularity Net? Right? When you look and you say, hey, five, 10 years from now, as you continue to build it, what, what does this end up looking like? <laughs> I mean, the, the, end, the, the, end, the, end goal, the end goal is to foster the emergence of benevolent superhuman general intelligence, right? So I mean, the end goal is a beneficial singularity. That's why it's called Singularity Net. But obviously, there are, there are a few intermediate sub-goals along the way, right? So, I mean, an intermediate sub-goal, which is still very big, is I want to see a substantial fraction of the AI on the planet running in decentralized networks that are controlled in a democratic and, and participatory way. So, I mean, we, we don't need to monopolize all the AI on the planet any more than Linux has monopolized all the operating systems on the planet. But I mean, if if SingularityNet was as big for AI as Linux is for operating systems, then I think we, we, we would be quite successful and we would have, you know, we would have made it so that decentralized, participatory, secure, privacy-respecting systems are a big chunk of how AI happens on the on the planet Earth. And I mean, I think that's the right platform for the next stage, which is the transition from narrow AI to general intelligence and then the, the emergence of benevolent superintelligence. So then, you know, practical stuff like analyzing genetics data or helping a modeling agency do, you know, image transfer of faces from one scene to another or helping Cisco with car traffic analytics, these very practical nitty-gritty projects across many vertical markets, I mean, these are part of the process of getting decentralized AI to be a significant part of the picture in terms of how, how the transition from narrow AI to AGI happens on the planet. 
Got it. And, and then uh, in terms of uh, the actual services and the AI uh, functionality that you have on uh, on the marketplace, how are you creating that? Are you guys creating that in-house? Are you using um, kind of some sort of incentive tool to get others to create it and contribute? Um, you know, where, where's that coming from if you consider that kind of the supply? So, so far, the, the tools on the beta version two marketplace, I mean, these are these are either in-house or they're developed by other groups that we're pretty close close partners with. So, I mean, we've used we've used token-based in, incentivization, but it's been more on a on a bespoke basis. Like there's a there's a company called Moza AI which builds bioinformatics tools to analyze genetics data. And I mean, we we've, we've worked with them and they put some genetics AI tools. On, on the platform, but it, so it's been some in-house and some developed by close partners. And the, really, the services on there now—I mean, they're useful. They do—they do valuable things, but they're—they're they're mostly, you know, ex- examples of what of what the platform can do. And what we're going to be launching later this year, the a request for AI portal, which basically has a list of hey, if you develop this then we'll reward you with this many tokens. If you develop that, we'll reward you with this many tokens. And then then we're inviting the community to post new requests for AI on, on, on that portal. Like if you if you want some AI developed, post a request here, you know, post a, a criterion for what does someone have to do to, to have their AI be good enough for you and how many tokens as reward are you willing to give someone for for developing this. And then that that it's a little bit like Kaggle, but it, but uh, but it's it's more flexible in, in what kinds of, uh, of of AI can 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 be can be requested. So that's that's the next stage, which we're going to get to this fall, which which we're pretty pretty excited about. I mean, we've been doing things in house and with close partners because the development tools have been a bit raw, but now that the beta version two is much more mature and easy to use. So with the yeah, with the launch of the request for AI portal later this fall, we're gonna we're gonna make a big push to get third party developers to put stuff on the platform. And then that I mean that's at the same time as working with Cisco, with PICC, which is China's largest insurance company which we have an MOU with, and we're working out the contract details now for some special work there. And uh, Domino's Pizza, who's working with us on optimizing pizza delivery in, in, in Malaysia and Singapore. So, I mean, on the one hand, getting corporate customers on board through Singular Studio and through contracts with specific corporations, getting large corporates on. On the other hand, launching the request for AI portal this this fall to make a sort of systematic way to guide the token incentivized AI development. I mean, that that's building demand and supply on the network. And I mean, that's what we need to do to, to really make this grow. So I mean, our, our big goal in 2018 and 19 was building stuff because the Current blockchain tools are a horrifying pain to work with. So, like getting getting a decentralized AI network that actually works was a very hard technical problem. So now, our I mean, there's still loads of more tech development to do, 
but our big goal for you know this fall and then 2020 is more on the community development side so we want to come out of 2020 with a bunch of users and a bunch of third-party developers and a sort of flourishing flourishing ecosystem there and then that's where you have the conditions for really radical exponentially growth over over the, over the few years after that for sure um, one of the things that to me is so interesting here is um, these businesses can uh, get very big very fast because of the global nature of them how do you think about you know kind of uh, focusing on one geography or, or jurisdiction versus uh, global expansion uh, from day one or the early days it's, it's, it's got to be global, and we're very global in the first place. I mean, I'm sitting in Hong Kong. Our biggest AI team is in St. Petersburg, Russia. Our, our product development is between St. Petersburg and Bangalore for the, for the core platform. We have, we have a team in Brazil, a team in Ethiopia. And I think, I think that's actually very important to the model overall because if, if, if you look at what we're trying to do with getting a lot of different AI into the platform, so the supply side, part of what will make our platform successful is that we can take contributions from brilliant AI guys, you know, in Russia, in Mongolia, in India, in Azerbaijan, in, in, in Ghana, in, in Honduras, wherever they are, right? So if you have a brilliant AI developer with a new idea for a new AI algorithm, you know, if you're sitting in Azerbaijan or Honduras or Ghana, you're probably not going to get a job at Google or Facebook or Tencent. I mean, you might, but not many will, right? On the other hand, you can take an AI that you design and you can put it online in our platform and then you can make money for it. You can earn tokens for it and you can build a reputation for it. So the ability to draw on AI contributions on the supply side from developers all around the planet, that's that's extremely valuable. And I mean, that, 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 that's something that comes along with being a decentralized network that's, that's uh, not, not tied to a, a very specific, you know, corporate business model or, or, or jurisdiction. And I mean, so on, on, the, on the other hand, that naturally will lead to serving customers all around the world. Because I mean, if, if you have a bunch of AI developers in, Azerbaijan who are contributing AI to the SingularityNet platform. I mean, of course, the AI they created could be used by large companies or startups anywhere on the planet. But there's going to be there's going to be an incentive then for companies in that country to use some of the AI put in the platform by developers in, in, in that country. So I think something like this can be global by nature. And I mean it. In the same way that Linux, Linux has become very global, even though the initial developers were located in, in mostly Northern Europe and, 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 and U.S. Got it. Before I wrap up, I always do rapid fire set of questions. Uh, what do you think is the most important company in crypto other than your own? I've been very excited by the Toda ecosystem, T-O-D-A. I, th I think the Toda guys have solved the uh, – scaling problem that has plagued blockchain technologies. And we're working on a experimental port of SingularityNet off Ethereum onto Toda. So, I mean, that's not launched yet. We're just playing with it. But what they have is very cool. Like they, they got rid of the replicated ledger and they found a clever way to do, you know, secure, decentralized 
transactions of, 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 of value. And so that, that's, that's very cool. I've been playing with that a lot lately. Got it. What's the uh, one regulation you would change or improve if you could wave a magic wand? Oh, one, one regulation. Well, I mean, I mean, to, the regulations that annoy me most actually aren't about crypto. They're, they're, they're more about experimentation uh, regarding biology. I mean, I would, I, would, I, would, I would love to see regulations change so if any sane, non-retarded, consenting adult wanted to try some medical therapy, they're, they're allowed to do so. Like that, 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 would, that would advance us a lot toward, uh, toward super longevity and conquering aging and death. You wouldn't have to have like medical tourism and boutique medical facilities on super yachts in, in, in the ocean and so forth. But I mean, in, in, in the crypto domain, I mean, clearly, clearly you want to see just free ability for anyone to experiment with altcoins, utility tokens, or radical new forms of value exchange that haven't been invested yet, invented yet. I mean, these shouldn't be these shouldn't be regulated as as securities. There should be freedom of anyone, anyone whether they're an accredited investor or not, to invent or to in, invest in or purchase or, or whatever, like any cryptographic entity they want. And you know, the government. The government can protect against fraud and people lying and saying something is what it isn't. But if you clearly describe what something is and someone else wants to pay their money for it, they should be allowed to do so. I don't see why the government needs to be that paternalistic. And yeah, probably the most offensive thing, though, is like in, in many countries like the U.S., if you're above a certain level of net worth or income, you're allowed to buy certain things. And if you're poor, you're not allowed to buy certain things. I mean, that that's just... That's insanely ridiculous. Like, why, why should the government be so paternalistic toward anyone who's not rich enough? I mean, just because you're not rich doesn't mean you're mentally retarded. But, I mean, it will be such a long list of ridiculous paternalistic laws that, that exist for historical reasons and are preserved through either stupidity or because they help to increase the advantage that, that the highly wealthy have have over, over everyone else. So I'm... I'm yeah, I'm very excited. Like Patrick Friedman, a friend of mine in California, has recently recently raised a venture fund for charter cities and seasteading and so forth. So I'm 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 very I'm very psyched about that. I, I hope I, I hope we can see like hundreds of startup countries floating in international waters with 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 much more complete freedom to experiment both with with medicine and with different forms of social organization and, and economic exchange. You know, while we're at it, we should legalize all, all psychedelics so people can, can trip out and expand their minds whenever and wherever they want. I mean, but, but there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a long list. So once, once the super AI takes over and, and, and becomes a benevolent ruler, ruler on the planet, it can get rid of all these stupid laws. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Got it. And so, uh, what's the most important book you've ever read? Most important book I've ever read in my life? Well, probably the book that influenced me most was uh, Thus Spake Zarathustra by Friedrich Nietzsche, which my, my oldest son is named Zarathustra, probably because uh, I enjoyed the, the philosophy in there so much. Got it. 
And, and then uh, aliens, believer, non-believer? Aliens? What, what, what kind of aliens are we talking about here? Well, I've never seen one, but I ask everybody if they, uh, if they believe in aliens or some for, form of uh, intelligent life outside of humans on Earth. Well, if you take, if you take DMT, you'll encounter a lot of aliens. But th- these guys <laughs> seem to live in a, in a different dimension. So, I mean, if you're talking about aliens in this four-dimensional space-time continuum, hiding in Area 51 or whatnot. I mean, I, I, I haven't met any yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm highly open to the possibility. I mean, in, in general, my feeling is we understand far less about the universe we live in than we think we do. Like, I think about when my dog is sitting in the study where I work watching me type on the computer. He just thinks I'm sitting there wiggling my fingers randomly and there's no, I'm guarding guarding my desk or something like he has no idea i'm controlling server farms elsewhere in the world or communicating with other people right so similarly once our intelligence is upgraded by fusing our minds with superhuman ai systems i mean what what aspects of reality are gonna become apparent to us that are completely opaque to us given our stupid brains right now i mean aliens may be maybe the least of the weird things we discover for sure. And then I end each podcast letting the guests ask me one question. What, uh, what question do you have for me? What do you see happening in, in the crypto ecosystem in, in, in the next couple of years? Do you, do you think we're going to see like a flourishing of, 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 of dApps overtaking the world economy? Or, 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 or do you think there's going to be sort of a long, a long uh, winter of sorts? No, you know, look, for me, it's um, I I put this uh, recently on Twitter, you know, take the financial applications. Uh, I tend to think more about automation, uh, automated finance rather than decentralized finance. And same thing with applications, right? right? Like there are definitely a place for uh, decentralized applications, but I tend to think more of it as automation uh, applications. And all that means or what the nuance there is some of the automation applications will be decentralized, but not all of them. But every decentralized application will be automated, right? And and so why that's important is um, when you think of a blockchain, in, in my opinion, it's simply triple entry accounting, right? And it can count a whole bunch of different things that you want it to, it, but it works in a way that ultimately will allow all assets of value, so stocks, bonds, currencies, and commodities, to be digitized. And ultimately, when those assets are digitized, you will then see true automation, right? I I joke all the time and say, the idea that we're having automated systems try to interact with uh, electronic money, right, that has, you know, one or two day settlement times, uh, or other uh, non-natively digital uh, assets, it's like trying to put a CD-ROM in a cassette player, right? It just doesn't really work. And, and so, um, you know, th- there will be a time where a lot of this yeah. stuff uh, is important and kind of comes to fruition. Um, unfortunately, I think a lot of the uh, decentralized applications or just the ideas around the applications, uh, they're probably a decade early, just like we saw on the Internet, right? We saw people try streaming. We saw people try um, food delivery, et cetera, uh, in the late 90s. That stuff really didn't happen. 
Well, yeah, what's interesting is, you know, the economy is, everything's advancing faster than it used to, right? So what took a decade between, like, 98 and 2008, that might take three years now or something, because I, I, I think... I think processes are, are happening are happening faster. So maybe maybe even if we are ahead of our time and that fundamental dynamic is there, maybe it's not ten years; it's only a few years. For sure. I, yeah. Look, it, may, maybe saying ten years is too literal, right? But it's just it's before its time, um, and, and uh, I definitely agree that things can grow faster, yeah. um, and and, and um, kind of trends might uh, accelerate given the fact that uh, technology is pretty uh, pervasive um, today versus, uh, you know, in the late 90s, people were just kind of coming online. Yeah, it's amazing how fast things can rise and fall now compared to 10 or 20 years ago, right? So, I mean, you can see, you can see potentially, you, you can see just like we saw IBM and Wine Computers and so and Honeywell fell from dominance to being sidelined. I mean, you can see the Googles, Amazon, Facebooks, and Tencents fall from dominance to being sidelined by something totally different in like a five-year period or something. It's thing, I think I think the pace of change is, is gonna accelerate. And I think I think you're right that the current batch of blockchain technologies is is in some ways, premature and, and prototypish. I mean, that, that's why I got excited about Toda lately because I look at that and it's like, well, this is this is the next generation. Like, actually, why did we need a distributed ledger at the base level of our secure decentralized protocol? You didn't. Like, you can you can do secure decentralized communication without a ledger, and then if you need a ledger, you, you build it on top of that. So that's that's one example of like a totally different architecture than than what's commonplace now so yeah i think there's definitely there's another phase of experimentation with the core protocols and architectures before you get get super super wide adoption but that phase may go through faster than one expects based on historical precedence because the whole economy is just speeding up in an insane way for sure i uh i i completely agree man well, listen, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Um, I, I've uh, been fascinated with um, all sorts of aspects of uh, artificial intelligence. And, and to talk to somebody who's been working at so long is a real treat for me. And then obviously what you're doing um, in terms of applying that uh, is pretty cool. So thanks so much. And we'll have to do it again in the future. All right. Yeah, thank, thanks a lot. Hey, everyone. Pop here. If you like this episode of Off The Chain and want to help us take crypto to the top of the Apple, Spotify, and other podcast charts, please do us a favor and rate, review, and subscribe. To review, simply go to the Off The Chain homepage, scroll down until you see the five blank stars. Taking 15 seconds to fill those stars in and leave a quick review goes a long way in helping us take the entire crypto ecosystem to the top of the charts. I appreciate you listening and see you next time on Off The Chain.